0: Before we get to the podcast this week, support for the Rigsby Report is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the below-the-waist grooming champion of the world. Manscaped offers precision, precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The Lawnmower 4.0. I love that name, Lawnmower. It's a great name for Manscaped product. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and and free worldwide shipping with the code DOD for Dirt on Dirt. So punch in DOD at manscaped.com. And guys, trust me on this. I'm a very transparent person. You know this about me. I speak the truth from the heart. You got to trim, guys. You, you, you got to trim up. You, you can't be just Bigfoot down there. You can't be a woolly mammoth, okay? Your lady does not want that. You don't want that. You've got to get Manscaped. It's important. A new sponsor for the Rigsby Report. I'm very excited. The new official groomer sponsor of the Rigsby Report is Manscaped. All right, let's go. And most importantly, welcome to to dirt.com. This is the Rigsby Report podcast for the final week of August, and I like our guest today for a lot of reasons. The funny part. About having Nick Hoffman on is that I was planning on talking to Nick even before he went to drive Scott Bloomquist's car, and so people are probably thinking, "Well, wait a minute, this is kind of a dirt late model show, so why would you have Hoffman on?" Yes, it is a dirt late model show, but the summer that Nick Hoffman had, winning I think 19 out of 20 Summit Modified races, which will likely never happen again, and you know he spent some time in dirt late model racing too. To me, he's just an interesting guy. He's worthy of a conversation. Plus, I think his entire family thinks that I hate him, <laughs> so I want to discuss that with him as well. Now, listen, I make no bones about it. I'm more of a Mike Harrison guy. Hoffman's driving style, isn't it? Now he wins, of course. So that's I like the winning part. But you know, I want to see the guy bang the cush. So we'll cover all that in the podcast today. Uh, but then, you know, he goes and races for Scott Bloomquist. Actually, is racing Scott Bloomquist's car. It was kind of a slam dunk. I have a lot of interesting stuff that I want to and need to ask him. We will do all of that today. And you're nuts. Like I said, if you don't think I'm asking him at least two Mike Harrison questions, his rival in this podcast, you're nuts. Uh, Nothing before the interview today. I want to get right to it. Let's go with Nick Hoffman. I tweeted out on July 7th, what Nick Hoffman is doing is one of the most impressive things I have ever seen in short track racing. And that was only when he'd won like, I don't even remember, like 11 in a row at the time. That was before he'd gone to win 19 out of 20 Summit Modified races during the summer. And I don't care what you think about modified racing, and let's be clear here. I've not exactly been a big mod advocate over the years, I'll admit that. But that is a stunning accomplishment, and there is no denying that he is the best modified driver in the country, and if you talk to people around him, there's a lot more to him than just that. He is a unique guy. He's a guy I think, if given the opportunity, could be a damn successful dirt late model driver. And he's starting to show those flashes already in the Scott Bloomquist car. And Nick Hoffman joins me now on the Integra Shocks and Springs Hotline. All right, Nick, let's get right down to business first and foremost. I'm tackling the elephant in the room And you must answer this question honestly or we're going to be off to a really bad start. And I'll be mad if I don't get an honest answer from you. Does some of your family, because I've made my love for Mike Harrison known, does some of your family, A, hate me, or B, think I hate you? And I want an honest answer, Nick.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they think they they, they hate me, but it's just – I always thought you hated me more than anybody, I think. I was just like, man, I don't think you really liked me. You know, just, uh, I just felt like throughout the years that, uh, you know, we would talk and stuff, but just the comments you'd make, I think just jokingly or whatever, I was like, I don't even know if you really like me. So <laughs> um, as far as my family, I don't know. Like um, a lot of people don't really pay attention to it, um, I guess, you know, but uh, throughout the years, that that's kind of what uh, how I felt at least.
0: Well, I, I grew up in like a household and a, a group of friends where you you know you bust each other's balls. So if my sarcasm was not coming through, I apologize for that because I always spoke to you right. I never like ran away from you in the pits or anything.
1: Right? Yeah. No. It's uh it's all good. I, I think we've created a pretty good friendship throughout the years, and uh, I think the. F- First time that I felt like you really appreciated me was at North South a couple of years ago when I was actually running pretty well in the lead model, and uh, I was like, "Man, I think this guy might actually like me." So, <laughs> uh, I think that was the first time. I
0: I was worried that like your wife and your family, and I listen, Dylan Braddy, who I tease all the time. I was literally thinking like they're going home at night thinking this. I'm just gonna say it, this fucking Rigsby. He's a son of a bitch. Uh, was that ever tossed out? Make me feel a little better, or if it was not, be honest with me.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, my wife sees everything that's posted and all that type of stuff, and um, you know, she's obviously my biggest fan. But uh, yeah, I think <laughs> as far as my other part of my family, they don't uh, they don't see any of that type of stuff. Okay. So we're all good.
0: I don't do this with every guest, but I do think there are late model people who probably don't know the full Nick Hoffman story. So I'd like to hear it myself, honestly, from you. Take us through, you know, a kid born in the shadows of the St. Louis Arch in Belleville, Illinois. He moves to North Carolina. I'll just take me through your life, Nick, from birth until now. You're 29 years old. Um, you know, just kind of take me through your life a little bit, your racing life, how you ended up where you did, and all those things if you could, bud.
1: Yeah. Um, so I grew up in, in Illinois there and uh come from a racing family my dad raced uh around the st louis region um he would go down to like kentucky a little bit and over he'd run like eldora and stuff so i kind of grew up around you know belleville uh belle claire Speedway, uh peevelie missouri i-55 uh at that time we had st charles and godfrey and and those type of places to go to so i kind of grew up watching him race dirt modified and he ran a little bit of late model stuff not much and um when we were 10 um, we moved to North Carolina and the main reason we moved to North Carolina was, um, he's an engine builder. He had his own engine shop and got tired of, uh, dealing with customers and, and doing it, uh, you know, week to week, trying to build, build motors for broke dirt racers, you know, and, <laughs> uh, was tired tired of doing that and, uh, wanted to do the NASCAR deal. And at that time, you know, I was, uh, set on trying to be a NASCAR driver or whatever, you know, I'm young, but, um, at that time, you could still make it on talent. Um, and then obviously that's turned into, you You gotta have money to do it. So, um, he was working for Mike Metler, uh, Mittler brothers. Yeah. And so, uh, Carl Edwards was driving for him at that time. And so we, we all packed up and, and moved to North Carolina. Carl, uh, moved down with us because he knew he had to live in North Carolina to, in order to make it, uh, in NASCAR. So we all moved down together. Um, dad and carl actually spent a week in the walmart parking lot I lived in in the walmart parking lot in an astro van for both of them to try and find a job wow and 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 for um dad to find a job and find a house so then we packed up and moved and at that time you know i'm 10 years old and all my friends are in st louis so i was uh pretty devastated you know i didn't really want to move and looking back now it's the best thing we ever did um so i moved to north carolina and uh, you know, at 10 years old, I was racing quarter midgets and then, um, down there, there was no quarter midget racing. So we had to move to like bandoleros and kind of went the path of, you could say a lot of the NASCAR kids did with uh, a lot of asphalt racing, bandoleros, uh, uh late, uh, legend cars, Allison legacy cars, asphalt, late miles, that stuff throughout those years. And when I was 14 is the first time I started racing on dirt, um, with, I was just like a sportsman, and then um, raced around North Carolina, and then a year later I moved to a modified, and been in modified since. But uh, throughout those years, I still was running a lot of asphalt races. Um, I got to make three truck series starts when I was 18 um, with Metler Brothers, and then um, you know racing my modified all the way through through those years, um, and I enjoyed the asphalt racing. But um, you know dirt's kind of where I've made my home, and Uh, I've got to race a lot of different race cars, you know, throughout my life. And uh, this is, you know, I'm having the most fun of my life right now racing, you know, both late models and modified.
0: That was a tremendous recap. I ask guys to do that sometimes, and they don't really do it very well. That might be the best recap I've gotten. Thank you. (laughs) Some guys aren't very good at it. You know, how close, how close were the NASCAR aspirations, you know, Nick? You're down there, you're in Charlotte. Obviously, you're friends with Carl Edwards. You had to be around some connected people, the Mittler brothers. Were you ever, did you feel like you were close at any point to, hey, maybe I'll make my way into NASCAR?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think a couple things didn't go my way or, or whatever, but um, I felt like we run really well when we ran Mittler's truck, and um, I met a, a lot of great people. It's just, at that point, it just turned into just how many, you know, how many dollars you got to bring to the table to try to um, to try and make it work. But um, the biggest thing is, I don't know, I, I had a lot of fun doing it, um, but it's just, it's not near as fun as the dirt race. And I think any of those asphalt guys will tell you, you know, that's why Kyle and Christopher and all them guys come back and run uh, on dirt is just because they have more fun doing it.
0: Do you think, you know, the the great irony of you being this unbelievable dirt modified driver is that you moved to North Carolina. Had you continued to live in and around the Midwest, I mean, where better a place to uh, grow up racing dirt modifieds than St. Louis, Missouri, right? Do you ever think about that? Yeah. Like, man, had, had I stayed,
1: I know it worked out, but God, St. Louis would have been a great
0: place to, to start in dirt racing.
1: Yeah. And everybody always gives me crap saying that, you know, I need to move back and, and all that. But as far as my business and and everything I do, there's no better place for me to live than North Carolina. Just the resources, um, everything that I have in my back door there uh, within 10 minutes, I can get anything I need for a race car. So uh, living there is so nice. The weather's nicer. You know, we got a little bit cooler summers and and a little bit warmer winters, you know? So it's just um, everything about North Carolina. I really like Uh, it's just, I have to travel so far to, to do racing and, um, kind of sucks, but it is, it is nice. So when I do come home, um, to St. Louis, I got places to stay, uh, family and everything right around there. So it uh, it works out pretty well.
0: You know, you mentioned you can get whatever you need for your race car. And I'm assuming you kind of mean not only your race car, but you're a chassis builder as well. Your company elite, it's nine years old now. Um, it's kind of a simple question because I've heard the backstory a little bit, but was it just an, ep- an epiphany to start a chassis manufacturing company is this something you're going to do forever take take me through the transition from driver because there's listen there's not a lot of mid, you know 20 year olds and you'd have been 20 at the time that are starting a chassis business how did that happen and are you going to do this forever
1: yeah so i i plan to do it forever for sure um and a lot of people i think at the beginning just thought it was a fad and i was going to get out of it but now i think everybody realizes it's a serious deal and um it's evolved to what it is today but um basically yeah 20 years old never never have ever had a job I've never actually worked for somebody um so I was fortunate enough like when I got out of high school or through high school or whatever uh, my parents never made me get a job and um so I started this chassis company basically because uh Monty Grice he was um he was a big supporter of mine. He was my chassis builder at the time, and um, he worked for Dirtworks throughout the years, so my dad knew him when he raced, and, and uh, he was in North Carolina building cars, and um, he'd work a chassis during the day and build some modifieds at night, and he'd only build two or three cars a year, um, and he was, he was diagnosed with cancer at that time and didn't look like he was going to be able to build cars anymore, so I bought a lot of his, his equipment and uh, started my own deal. Uh, and really at the time I was just, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and my dad's an engine builder and I didn't want to do that. I, I hated dealing with motors and that type of stuff. Um, but I felt pretty savvy on the chassis side of set up and learning about the cars and stuff. So I built that very first car, um, and we took it to Eldora and won the nationals at Eldora the very first night. So then after that, I mean, it snowballed quick. Obviously you win a big race like that. Everybody wants your car. So yeah it snowballed quick. And at this time, Will Krupp was my very first customer. Um, and, you know, turned into being one of my really good friends and they sent me a deposit for like, you know, 20 grand. So I'm a 20 year old with like a $20,000 check. And I'm like, Holy cow, you're rich. You're rich. I got, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. exactly. So I got to figure this deal out quick. You know what I mean? So, um, it all, it all snowballed really fast and, uh, evolved to what it is today. It feels like that was yesterday now, but, um, yeah, it's just pretty wild the way it's worked out.
0: Another interesting thing to me about your chassis company is that you don't have some, I, I think I have this right. You don't have some massive shop, right? Uh, I believe this is still, right. these cars are being built in your, your father's three car garage, right? You do all your racing out of your father's three car garage.
1: Yeah. So that was a funny thing. Uh, you know, a lot of people, they make the term that we got NASCAR money on Facebook or whatever. Uh, you've seen it with Wallace and I've gotten that same comment before, but, um, yeah, we're doing it all out of just a you know three car garage. Got a jig in there. Normally can only fit about two cars in there. Um, but yeah, it's uh it's pretty neat. So I posted that picture last week. Um, you know the, the checks and the cars sitting out in front of the shop just to kind of show everybody what we're what we're doing it out of. Um, and yeah, it's uh it's pretty tight in there. You just got to be very organized and have all your stuff in place. And um, I got you know quite a few. Pieces of nice machinery uh, to do the chassis deal, and so you just gotta have everything on wheels to be able to move stuff around. And you know, my car very rarely doesn't get to sit in the shop just because we always got cars in there. Um, so it makes it tough, but um, I enjoy being at my parents' house. My dad actually builds motors in there too, so we got chassis and oh, just Jeez. on the same building.
0: I, I know there were some grumblings out there last year of, you know, let's be honest here, Mike McKinney, good friend of yours, uh, Tyler Nicely, some others, some guys that had left Elite citing in part, you know, hey, it's hard to race against this guy, and Mark Richards has gotten this in the past, right, it's hard to race against your chassis builder, but um, for good reason, you know you can't go over to always to Mike McKinney maybe and give him what he needs because you're racing against him also. Where has all that landed, Nick? You know, I know there was a little bit of dramatics with that last year and stuff. Is everything okay with that now? And kind of how, tell me about that through your eyes.
1: Yeah, so I uh, I still talk to them guys. I never really had hard feelings for that because I understood you know their situations. Um, so I you know I was with Mike McKinney last night. He's up here in Davenport. So. I was with him hanging out. Um, Tyler, I'd still talk to him every day. And Will, i talked to him, you know, quite a bit throughout the week, too. So, um, I understood their situation. Um, all of us want to win, you know. So, at the end of the day, you got to do whatever it takes to, to, you know, benefit yourself and your race program. So, um, I feel like, you know, they did run better in my stuff, you know, through and through. But um, right now, you know, they, uh, they're trying to learn a new car. They've been with me since you know, eight or 10 years ago. So, um, so everything's kind of new to them, but they're still running really well. And um, I'm still buddies with them all. So I don't, I don't really take too much stuff to heart and I just kind of go with the flow. I do. I will, you know, um, throw some jabs at him here and there, just, you know, just to be fun. But uh, you know, it's just part of it.
0: Speaking of Mike McKinney, I was in Turks and Caicos earlier this year, and one of Chad Boat's guys said to me, "Hey, you have a Fairberry shirt on. Fairberry, the house that Mike McKinney built." And I go, "Oh, okay. Let's calm down. <laughs> let's come. Cal- we can both. Uh-huh. We can both agree it's not the house that Mike McKinney built, right?" <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's it's funny because everybody always says halls, and I say was well, that for Harrison or Halls?
0: <laughs> not not malls. No McKinney for sure. Hey, I want to talk. Yeah, I well, want I want to talk to you about the run this summer that you were on. Uh, you know how people use the term in sports in the zone, and I know you're a sports guy too. Obviously, you win 19 out of 20 this summer. But Nick, take me through like every night. Were you just having like this out of body experience? did you feel so locked in that literally nothing could stop you? I'd really like to get into your mind of winning 19 of 20, what it was like when you flipped the visor down and got into the car.
1: Yeah. So it just basically became a routine, you know, more than anything. We just looking back at it now, I don't think we appreciated what we were doing as much uh, as what we do now, just looking back. But, uh, man, just every night we'd do the same exact thing. Um, even down to like, we had like two songs that we play. And once we, once we got rolling there, one, like eight or nine, we had like two songs that we would play on the way to the racetrack. It was uh hell of a year for Parker McCollum and, um, and are you ready by ACDC basically get us fired up, you know? So we just, um, just kept rolling. I don't know. It was just, um it was to a point where like we expected to win you know and uh everything went our way we man the first like whatever it was those first six or seven nights I drew the pole like every single night and everybody was like I think that was what pissed a lot of people off was I led every lap you know and just everything was going our way um we couldn't really do anything wrong and um mechanics wise never had an issue It was just it was just wild how it all played out. And, um, if ever, somebody ever does that again, it'd be you know pretty impressive. Uh, just cause we done, you know, we went through it. It's just, um, there's so many things that can cause an issue with a lap car spinning out or anything, you know, just nothing. We had zero problems the entire time. So, um, you know, now we sit back and look at it and we really appreciate, you know, what happened there. And, um, and it was just, it was a, you know, a hell of a year. It was fun.
0: Did you start to pick up on attitude from guys in the pits? I'm, I, listen, I'm sure some of the guys were supportive, but when you're winning 19 out of 20, it's New York Yankee stuff, right? It's, it's Duke basketball stuff. It's, were you, did you sense that a little from guys that, you know, ugh, I, I'm starting to get a little bit of shade in the pits after about the 12th win?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, obviously people that make comments and stuff, but I think I, I, you know, they don't really show it to me as much, but I feel like I get more support than anything, um, on it. You know, everybody was, um, to me, was supportive. Then they go to their pit or somebody else's pit and like that damn Hoffman or whatever, you know, but, um, yeah. So, I mean, they, um,
0: <laughs> Tell, Who is that? Bloomquist, Tell him to answer his phone.
1: <laughs> no, it's fucking Cody's phone. That thing rings all day. Put it on um,
0: silent. Cody Summers phone. Put it on silent.
1: Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't ever really see it. I see the Facebook comments more than anything. Sorry, uh, you sorry. know, I trying to keep up with uh, everything on Facebook. But um, as far as, you know, in the pit area, I never really had any issues there. Um, but, you know, it was just just going night to night. And uh, whatever they said, it, just, it is what it is.
0: You mentioned the Facebook comments. What was your favorite anti-Nick Hoffman comment on social media? Do you have one or two that stand out that was like, Nick Hoffman's
1: a piece of shit.
0: Or like, was there like one or two that really struck
1: you or anything? There was like three or four different, uh, different guys that they were were on every single post and they would (laughs) make comments, um, you know, on every single post of, uh, you know, I don't know, like it, it, he he starts on the front row every night or, um, you know, it's easy to do when you got NASCAR money and all that type of stuff. So, I don't really have a favorite one or whatever. It's just I see them all, and I enjoy them all. I just use it uh, as you know, fuel to the fire, and uh makes me want to win more.
0: Yeah, and is that Cody clamoring around in the background, too, making noises? Tell him to be quiet. We're trying to conduct an interview here, for God's sake, Nick. Can you, or is it Jacob Nord? Which one? Tell him to be quiet in the background.
1: No. <laughs> yeah, it's my crew guy. He's trying to dismount tires now, so I just told him to be quiet. Tell him
0: to be quiet. Goodness. goodness. This is the best modified driver in America we're talking to. We demand silence here for God's sake. Uh, speaking of that, one thing I always hear that cracks me up is the, hey, he needs to move up to late models argument. He's killing these, quote, lower division guys. He's got to move up. I'll touch on that with the Bloomquist stuff, but I want an answer here. You were obviously a super high-level modified team, right? You have been around and seen super high-level late model teams. You're with one now. Go dollar for dollar with me, Nick. Compare the cost. If it takes X amount of dollars to run a mod team like yours, what does it take to run a late model team like JD's? Be specific as you can. I think a lot of people think, oh, he's spending the same amount of money on modifieds as he has late models. Really t- dive into that right. for me if you could.
1: Yeah, so a lot of that goes to, you know, we only get paid 1500 bucks a night in the mod on the Hell Tour. So I get a lot of that of people like, well, he's spending more money than he's making. And that's not the case. You know, I wouldn't be doing it if, if I wasn't making money. Um, as far as a mod program throughout the year, let's say speed weeks, for example, you know, we go down there for seven nights at Volusia. I budget that deal is going to cost me right around four to $5,000. Um, so I normally get a sponsor to pay for it, you know? So then everything after that's profit, but, um, a late model deal, you know, tires, motor, all that type of stuff. Um, it, uh, it's way more, you know, and then you got to have a crew, you know, a crew, at least two guys where my deal, you can do it with one guy. Um, so, throughout a year, you know, a late model team, I would imagine spends, uh, a traveling late model team is going to spend at least two hundred to $300,000. Oh, sure. Um, sure. You're, that you know, doesn't
0: count motors and stuff, right? Obviously, that doesn't count any co- of that, right? Correct.
1: Like, you already got you already got your equipment, you already got your hauler, that type of stuff. Or a mod deal, I would say around 75000 uh 50000 75000 like, throughout the year traveling around. Um a night on a hell tour will will cost me normally right around, I would say, $400. Bucks. Um, so that's traveling up and down the road. You know, this year the schedule was a little bit longer, and the tracks I felt like were further away from night to night. So I'd probably spend about 100 bucks on fuel. Um, generally, we weren't putting tires on every night. We were only putting tires on uh, maybe once um, every two or three nights um just trying to make that last as long as we could and then race fuel you know so basically that's all it comes down to and pit passes but um we were only spending a couple hundred bucks a night and um able to win 1500 so when you string eight or ten of those together you make a little bit of money and um you know and the biggest thing is at the end of the day i'm you know representing my chassis company and making money there um and everything else so Uh, For me, I got to be out on the road racing for uh, multiple different reasons.
0: So, if you let's try to take a stab at an all-in number, if and I'm guessing here, if Jonathan Davenport and Lance Landers are, I'm counting hauler motors everything, eight hundred grand, eight hundred grand for a year. I don't know, it might be low on that. Uh, What what is a what is a mod team all in? If that's eight hundred for JD to go run Lucas. Nick Hoffman to go do what he does is three hundred counting motors and chassis and everything. Your situation's different with motors and chassis, but you yeah, know, is it would it be three four half half the late model cost? What do you think?
1: I would say it's gonna be less than half, just because um yeah, I'm in a very different situation because my motors are free and my chassis stuff's free. But um so, you know, nine times out of ten, these guys only have one car, um, two at best, and probably two motors you know so let's say you spend you know 20 grand on a motor so you got 40 grand and two motors sitting there and you your cars are at least 25 now so you got 50 grand sitting there and cars uh if you have two so yeah you're at 90,000 um 100 grand before you even raise um and then you know i would say you're going to spend another 75 to 100 if you're going to travel around like i do and, and try and hit big shows so uh, yeah, I would say if you're getting going and, um, we're going to run a whole year or whatever, uh, you're going to spend 200 grand if you, if you want to, uh, if you want to travel around and, and everything, but 90% of these guys already have cars, motors, that type of stuff. They accumulated throughout the year. Yeah. And, you know, I don't. I don't feel like mod has been near that nowadays unless, you know, you're on USMTS or something like that.
0: Okay, so it's not it's not as simple as, yes, you guys are racing for a fifth of the money or a third of the money every night, I should say, on the Hell Tour, for instance. It's not as simple as, um, you know, uh, it basically costs the same to do modified racing as it does late model racing. He should go late model racing. That is not a true statement, right? It is, in fact, cheaper.
1: No. Yeah, it's 100% cheaper. Like, I could never afford a late model deal. Even with my dad... Um, doing motors and stuff i have a motor myself for a late model um and i there's no way i could afford to do it you know i do i do the modified deal because i can afford it and i can make a little bit of money and the late model side yes there's a lot of money on top you know if you win the race but as far as me funding a deal myself and going out there and expecting to win one of those type of races is you know very slim um so i don't know i just I feel like the mod deal is uh, where I've made my home as far as to try and make a living. Um, So it's just, uh, that's what I do.
0: Before we get to the Scott stuff, and I have many, many, many Team Zero questions, um, was late model racing ever really a dream for you? You just said right now, you know, mod is where you make your living. Did you ever think, Nick, that I want to be a dirt late model driver? Did you ever have that thought?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I do every day. Like, I would like to do a full-time deal. And I think a lot of people don't think that I do, but um, I would love to do a full-time late model deal with the right opportunity, you know, and this is the best opportunity I've ever had in my lifetime, you know, to, to drive for a top tier team and, and have the correct people around me, um, to make sure the car is good every single night. And, um, so yeah, I, I said it before, like, this is a dream opportunity and I got to try and make the most of it. And, uh, obviously driving Scott's car, you're expected to go out there and win or run well. And, Uh, I feel like we've done a pretty good job so far and, um, I think we're, we're really close. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to do a a full-time deal. Um, a lot of it just comes down to trying to make a living, you know, that mod deal, uh, pays pretty well throughout the year. And, you know, like last week at Batesville, I raced, you know, raced really hard and worked really hard, um, throughout the day and run third and, you know, third out of 5,000 win late mile show at a Lucas race only pays, you know, Two grand or whatever so it's hard to make a living uh when i could have you know made that much money racing a modified you know every weekend of the year
0: could you really could you run your chassis business let's say bloomquist said hey you're in the car full-time next year could you do both is that even possible you'd have to find somebody to run the chassis deal
1: so i do have a full-time guy back at the shop uh brandon he does a, a really good job keeping up with everything um as far as shipping parts and, and building extra parts and that and then uh, building cars too but um, yeah, I, my family does a lot when they're back, you know, at home, my mom, uh, my wife, my dad, like whatever it takes, they're all in. Um, so I can be out on the road and, and be racing and, uh, all that still get done, you know? So, um, I, I don't think I can build as many cars, you know, if I'm out on the road, but, um, we can still service everybody we got and build, you know, what we can. Um, but yeah, it's just, at the end of the day, uh, I'm a race car driver. You know, I, I'm a chassis builder too, but at first I'm, I'm a race driver. I, you know, I want to do this for a living um, as long as I can. And then you know, whenever I retire, I can go full bore chassis guy, but um, you know, that day ain't going to come anytime soon. So uh, I feel like I'm in my prime years of being out on the road racing, so I need to try and make the most of it.
0: How does it make you feel that Scott Bloomquist says about you, yeah, he does kind of drive like me? He does drive like me. When you hear him say that, what does that make you think?
1: Yeah, that you know, it's pretty cool because we talked about that uh, when I first got this deal. It's like he's watched enough of the summer national races um, that he's like, you know, everything that I do kind of mimics what he does. We use the brakes a lot. We momentum out in the middle of the racetrack, never blowing the deck out, uh, anything like that. So I was, you know, one of the main reasons why he was okay with me driving it was just because. I ain't going to you know, come in with the deck blown out every single time I hit the racetrack. And, um, and, you know, I try and make speed throughout the, through the middle of the racetrack where he's made millions of dollars, you know, it's just, um, that was my whole goal. The last couple of years is racing is uh, trying to make my stuff where I can just run the bottom middle of the racetrack and uh, made it work. And uh, that's how he's made a living, you know, his whole career. So this late model deal has gotten a lot tougher um, in the last, you know, eight or 10 years, I would say of you know all these guys are super aggressive and you got a lot of guys that can uh, can run the top and make a lot of speed up there without blowing the deck out and um so it makes it tougher for guys like us that are running the middle of the racetrack
0: your connection to that team is through cody summer i know you you met cody a long time ago in north carolina right how did that meeting happen and you guys have known each other for quite a few years
1: yeah so at this time i was 16 i had just really just started racing modifieds about a year or so ago. Um, and Cody was working at Ganassi. Um, and he got laid off. They had a huge layoff at Ganassi, like, uh, 70 or 80 people. And Cody was one of them. And so he, um, didn't have a job. So I got linked up with Cody through my sister and my bro- brother-in-law and Cody really just came to kind of work for me. I wasn't paying him anything, but he, you know, he wanted to do the marketing side a little bit. So he went out and got me a bunch of sponsors that I, I still have today. And um, basically it, it came down to, he was just helping me on that stuff. And then um, from there, we kind of got disconnected a little bit. He went off and um, did, you know, the brewery deal. I don't You know, a lot of people don't know that he had his own brewery for a while. Um, and then um he got back into racing with Gateway and Mansfield and all that type of stuff. But Cody actually got me like a sponsor with Wave Energy Drink. Uh I was eighteen years old, he got a sponsor with Wave Energy drink, Um and did some stuff there. And that's how he got into the beverage business. So once that kind of went through and he um got in the beverage business, kinda we went separate ways and then he ended up moving away. Um and then we got, you know, linked back up, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, and then now with this deal with, uh, with Scott, so he's been a big supporter of mine for a long time. Um, he's done a lot of stuff for me and, you know, I couldn't thank him enough. Like there was a lot, I was just a 16 year old kid. Nobody knew who I was and I wasn't winning races or anything. And I had, you know, a car in PRI that, uh, had a brand new race car all because of Cody. So. Um, he's done a lot for me throughout the years.
0: This Bloomquist thing, can it be a long-term thing? And this might not ultimately be your call, Nick. It might depend on how you run this year, but I mean, are we going to look up five years from now and you're still running the Bloomquist house car in essence? Is that possible? Is that an avenue that could happen here?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously I don't know what's on their agenda, what their plan is. Um, I really just take it week to week. Like, I don't know what I'm doing after the world, but, um, yeah, it definitely could be. I feel like I've made a pretty decent home here uh, racing this thing, and uh, we're running really well. It's just, the, it's definitely a lot of pressure every single night just to perform. Um, and, you know, we feel like, you know, we should be winning races. So uh, when I come in, even, you know, if I run fifth, it's still like, dang, like we could have been better. Like last night at Davenport here, I just, I was, I fell back at the beginning of the race, and at the end of the race, I was two or three tenths faster than the leader, you know. It's just, um, just a lot of pressure to perform. Um, and just, we got to win races. So at the end of the day, I don't, I don't know what else I got to do to show that I, you know, I, I deserve a full-time late model deal or I want to do it. Um, but you know, I just, uh, go out there and try and run, in the top three or five every night and try and get a win on this deal. So I can show that, uh, you know, I can do this deal.
0: Have you swapped chassis building stories with Scott? I mean, I'm sure you guys have been in the shop and had those discussions, right? Is this is how I do it. This is how you do it. Have you talked to each other, chassis builder to chassis builder?
1: Um, We, we definitely talk about, you know, different race cars, you know, stuff as far as things that he's done throughout the years. Um, And I'm telling you that guy, like the way his brain works, is, uh, on race cars is totally different than everybody else. You know, and he's very smart. He's been through everything. Uh, he's done everything. So, uh, I just more or less just sit back and listen to what he's got to say. You know, he, he's taught me a lot, um, just in a couple of weeks that I've been around him. Um, and the guy is unbelievable with tires. Um, so I learn a lot from him. Um, but he, um, he's been a big supporter of mine throughout this whole deal. He calls me, you know, every time after we race, um, just to see what I thought on, on the race car, what we needed to do, um, or what we could have done wrong, you know, but, uh, as far as like chassis builder, chassis builder, we don't talk a whole lot about the chassis side. I do know a lot of stuff about his cars, but, um, he just, the way he builds cars is, um, is pretty, you know, different from everybody too, but his stuff is super lightweight, but he's built these cars so long and raced them for so long. He knows like what areas crack and what you know bracing needs to be in them, and um, it's it's pretty wild as far as pretty much a you know it's like a piece of art, you know the way um, he does it. It's very Ray Burnish like old school, you know. He's done it this way for so many years, and um, he, he's got his way. And he's you know, this is the only way we're gonna do it, but um, it's it's pretty wild. It, you know, obviously it's worked for him throughout the years, and uh, it's still working today. I hear all the time
0: the stories of the late nights in Mooresburg, Tennessee and the crazy stuff that goes on around the Bloomquist racing, racing shop. Again, I'd like a pretty honest answer here. Take us into some of that, Nick. What is, what is planet zero like on a daily nightly basis around Mooresburg?
1: <laughs> yeah, so it is definitely different. Um, and I work kind of the later schedule myself, uh, even on the chassis side so stuff. So, far as staying up late that's not an issue um like the other night we got home we crashed at Batesville got home and um washed and and tore everything apart and I got done and was was ready to head back to North Carolina around 2 a.m so I didn't get home till 6 in the morning um but like that's that's the lifestyle you gotta live to be around there you know it's just um he he um is definitely sleeps in late and, (laughs) and, uh, he'll, he'll work late. And so it's, um, it's pretty wild. Like he gets on his iRacing simulator, runs a bunch of laps. So I get on there lately. We've been doing this, um, kind of lap time deal at, uh, in an Indy car on a road course. And like he'd get in it and go faster. And then I'd walk, you know, I'd walk over there and, and jump in it and beat his time and then just walk away. And a couple hours later, you'll see Scott over there trying to beat it again. So it's pretty funny. Um, so right before I left, I went ahead and made sure I laid down a pretty good lap. So he's got a couple of days to, to try and figure that out. <laughs> he's like but, uh, he like
0: likes yeah. iRacing racing now, right? Like he's into iRacing racing stuff. Oh
1: uh, yeah, oh uh, yeah. yeah. I mean that thing. He don't know how to shut it off. I don't think because I I showed up there three days ago and ran a lap and then got off of it and went home. And when I got back to the shop two days ago or whatever, um, it was still up. Like the car's crashing in <laughs> the wall, and he's got his lap time up there. And like he he made it a point like look I went faster than you so uh, so yeah it, it's pretty funny but he liked the the I racing deal and um man his, his dog buddy the um, legendary buddy everybody knows his dog yep yeah dog buddy gets lost almost every day now so it's about <laughs> twenty minutes to a half hour of finding buddy uh, um, yeah it's just uh, it's definitely different that guy he will literally go a day and a half two days without sleeping. You know, and then it, you won't see him. It's like, where's Scott? And he's like, oh, he's sleeping. You know, it's like, it's pretty wild, the lifestyle he lives. Just like at uh, at Florence, we went out for the B main. We we stayed up pretty late, and then he stayed up way later. Um, And the B main on Saturday, we went out and ran it and came back in. Scott gets up out of bed, and he was like, was that a hot lap? It's like, no, that was the B main, Scott. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, shit, why didn't somebody wake me up? And I was like, well, I mean, we were just busy trying to get everything done. He thought we were still out there hot laughing. So it's just, uh, it's pretty wild. He's, he definitely lives like a rock star.
0: I'd like to know, where does Buddy go when he's lost? Can you tell, where, where's the dog at?
1: Yeah. Last two times he's been down, uh, Scott lives on a pretty big lake, and there's like a kind of a creek. And the last two times he's been down at the creek, and Buddy is now blind and cannot hear, like, you know he's getting close to the end and um so buddy's literally standing there just looking at the water and we're like don't jump buddy you know (laughs) uh so he's he's uh scott is you know uh that's his best friend so they're you know trying to figure out what they're going to do when that day comes but um yeah right now he's he struggles to get around we kind of make the joke even you know this week he uh scott's not with us but you know we make the joke of, like, shut the shut the toter door. We don't need Buddy to get out. <laughs> so it's just kind of a uh, joke around
0: here. All right, last couple things before I get to true or false. This has been a great interview, Nick. I was giving Kyle Larson a ride back in a golf cart after the PDC, and him and I were talking. He said, I really need to get in a car and see if I can beat Nick Hoffman in a modified, right? He's never really raced a dirt modified. I know that you know Kyle well, but if I'm Nick Hoffman, I'm getting a car ready for Kyle from Elite and just letting him go race. Surely you've had this conversation with him at some point, right? Hey, anytime you want to race the dirt yeah. modified, I got one for you, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's what he's he's made it a point that you know he's like I ain't gonna drive anybody's stuff unless it's your personal car, you know, so uh, or something that I built out of my shop. So um, we have talked about that, um, and I think it'd be a lot of fun. He's like he don't want to race it unless I'm racing my car too. Like he wants to race against me and yeah. beat me. So uh yeah so that that's the whole deal so i have to have two cars you know what i mean (laughs) uh right now i don't but uh i think it'd be really cool it would it would make a lot of press i think for sure and there's no doubt in my mind that he would go out there and probably beat me you know the guy is the greatest uh that we'll ever see and he's one of my really good friends um we've done a lot of stuff together we've raced together a long time i mean i raced i raced outlaw cards uh when he was racing outlaw cards and that type of stuff so um, we've known each other for a very long time and become really good friends, but um, it would be very cool to do it. Um, and everybody always says that on, on Facebook and everything else um, that, you know, we need them in a modified. We'll do it eventually. Um, at first, before this whole string came along of him winning races and that type of stuff, um, it was always a joke of um, me and Ricky are really good friends too, Stenhouse and Stenhouse and Larson are best friends. It was always a joke of, uh, Larson versus Stenhouse—they're going to do a, a grudge match. And Kyle always said that he was going to run, run one of Strickler's cars, and, and then Ricky was going to run one, one of mine, on we'll see who <laughs> win. So that was always—that uh, was what we always talked about beforehand. But now, you know, Kyle wants to do it just to do it.
0: Well, you know, you this perfect segue to one of my last questions is—you've got a pretty interesting friend group, right? Not only Kyle Larson, but Ricky Stenhouse. Um, you know, it's got some famous friends you're running with there, and I certainly think Nick Hoffman's made his, his own name here this last year or two. Um, do you ever kind of look around at that friends group you've got and go, yeah, shit, you know, this is a pretty cool cool situation I'm in with Ricky Stenhouse and Kyle Larson, and uh, I know Clint Boyer hangs out with those guys because their kids hang out. Uh, it's pretty neat, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Just like the other night at Millbridge, I, um, I went down to talk to Clint, and he's like, man, you've been doing pretty damn good in that late model. And uh, it's just cool that like them guys pay attention to what yeah. we're doing, but um but yeah, like Kyle uh Ricky's actually my neighbor, like literally I see him you know almost uh every day uh when I'm home, so uh, I work out with Ricky a lot of times because um, he he's got a gym there at his at his property, and uh so yeah it, it's a pretty wild friends group, but you know they're just just like us, they're just racers, you know, they ain't nobody any different, um and i they don't want to be treated any different for sure so uh, we go out, you know, we party and, and, uh, run pretty hard uh, a lot of times, but, um, you know, we have a, a really good time. Me and Ricky went to New York city with, with Gordy Gundaker last year and, uh, got linked up with some people, you know, through sponsor stuff. And, you know, that's worked out really well with Yeti and, and a Vexel brand that's on both me and Gordy's cars. So, um, definitely make connections with those type of guys too. But, uh, at the end of the day, they're you know really good friends. And, um, uh, it's pretty cool to hang around him
0: I should have mentioned one of your famous friends is gordy gundaker I should I shouldn't have left Gigi off there right I mean he's'
1: <laughs> he's, he's
0: right there he's right there gordy's one of my favorite dudes man. yeah he's
1: he's famous he's famous too after his gateway incident. that's uh, right so he's He's right up there with, with, uh, Ricky Stenhouse and and Kyle Larson.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, it's time to talk Mike Harrison. Here we go. My guy, Mike Harrison, you know, you don't grow up at Fairbury, not loving Mike Harrison. The guy would make the trip up, you know, he's pounding the cush. He's knocking the deck out. Mike Harrison and Nick Hoffman, do they hate each other? Yes or no?
1: I would say on the racetrack. Yes. (laughs) Off the racetrack. No. Um, Mike is, you know, he talks to me, um, and you know he's a really good guy but on the racetrack we're rivals you know he wants to win I want to win and uh, I think we'll do whatever it takes to win
0: do you you can appreciate him right I mean you appreciate what he's accomplished and how good he's been in his style of racing for modified racing
1: oh for sure I mean literally I tell everybody if there is a cushion you're not going to beat the guy like there's <laughs> there's no if, ands or buts about it like the only way that we beat him with with a big cushion is if the you know the bottom to middle has a little bit of moisture you know that we can make speed through. But if it's slick to a cushion, there's literally nobody better that's going to run the top. I'd love to see him run a late model on the top because you know I feel like the late models are actually easier to drive on a cushion than the modified And I mean he could probably go out here and mop a lot of these guys on the top. But um, yeah, he's obviously a great race car driver. I grew up all my life watching him. Um, but it seems like the last 10 or 12 years is when he's really came on to, to win in a lot of races and, um, you know, make that known on the, on the, on the high side.
0: Now, okay, so one 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 final Harrison Salvo that I get to talk to Nick Hoffman about since I have you on the air. Can you appreciate, like, when I'm in the stands at Fairbury and he's ripping the lip, and, yes, your car's faster, your tenths faster, but, you know, it's fun to watch him rip the lip. Am I allowed to love the fact that he pounds the cushion – You're going to win more races. You're just probably going to win more races because of the style and everything you do. But can you at least understand why I fall in love with the way that he races?
1: Oh yeah. 100 percent I mean, like what I do doesn't probably sell near as many t-shirts for sure. But, um, and when I'm a race fan sitting in the stands, I love to watch Bobby Pierce and those type of guys blow the deck out. But like, for me looking at it, it's like, man, that's a lot of work tomorrow, you know? So, um, yeah, I just, I appreciate the way he races. He's uh, obviously all the race car drivers won way more races than I probably ever will, but um, he's done it for a long time too. And um, it's pretty wild. He just, he stays around that St. Louis area and all them racetracks normally have big cushions and, and uh, you know, uh, even the central Illinois area, I guess, but um, anywhere in Illinois, he's normally got a pretty big cushion and, Uh, he's learned to, you know, pretty much make his living up there and, uh, it's worked out for him. All
0: right. we don't have to talk about him anymore. I just want your family to know when I'm, I'm doing the thing with my hand at Fairbury where I'm like rallying my hand, circling it in the air. It's just cause he's fun to watch. That's all. Don't get mad at me, mom, wife. Don't get (laughs) mad at me. So, uh, last question before true or false. I have three true or false questions for you as we end every Rigsby report with true or false. Last question before that though, you can only win one race the rest of your life, Nick Hoffman. What race is it?
1: Um, yeah, I would say it's it would be like a world. Um, I've won a lot of races at Eldora. I feel like I get around there pretty well. And, uh, it's a granddaddy of them all. So okay. yeah, the world 100 would be big. And I feel like this year we got a, a decent shot at, uh, running pretty well. So uh, I'm pretty pumped up to drive Scott's car at, uh, at Eldora. Okay,
0: I was worried your answer was going to be like the Chili Bowl or the Knoxville Nationals. I'm like, he better say the World 100.
1: <laughs> he better say or Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that would be cool. Like, I'm, I'm going to run Chili Bowl again this year. Um, I enjoy racing those type of cars, but for me to even say that I would ever win that's uh, pretty far-fetched.
0: Okay, true or false, here we go. We're going to finish up with three true or false questions. True or false, you can do a backflip, and Carl Edwards taught you how to do that backflip. Is that true?
1: That is true, yes. I was uh, I was around 10 years old right before we moved to North Carolina, 9 or 10, and uh, we had a trampoline right by our pool, and Carl taught me how to do it on the trampoline into the pool, um, and then kind of spiraled from there. I started doing it off the car like Carl did, um, and it, it's evolved to now. I don't, I'm do getting pretty old now, I feel like, and uh, I'll still do it after a big win. And I wanted to do it at Fairbury the other night, uh, when I won the modified race, but I still had 100 laps to go in the late mile. I was like, man, if I like roll an ankle when I land or something stupid, um, I'll look like an idiot. So, um, so yeah, I was like, I better not do it. So I will still do it for the big races. You Listen, might see it this week at Fairbury if I do win that 10,000.
0: If you win the World 100, your ass is doing a backflip. Okay, I'm just wanting to let you know right now, you're backflipping at Eldora. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> so, so, so it's tough on a late mile. Like I'm gonna have to do it off of a wall or something. The the fenders are too high. Like yeah. to do it off of the door top or something like that. I don't know how Carl did it for so many years off the door, Um, which it's tough. You know, I'd have to do it off something smaller because um, the modified tire worked out perfect. It's like the right height to be able to rotate and land and, and not like come down hard. All
0: right. Second, true or false questions. You are totally deaf. I think it's your left ear. You're totally deaf in your left ear. Is that true?
1: Yes. Yeah, that's true too. So that was uh when I was little, I had, tubes in my ear like most kids do and the tube fell out and then skin started to grow inside my eardrum and they came in did surgeries and all that type of stuff um they could not they couldn't figure it out and basically it was come down to i was going to need a uh, transplant of an eardrum it rotted all my hearing bones, all that type of stuff out. And I'm, you know, like, four years old, I think, at this time. And I was over having surgeries and that type of stuff. So I was just like, screw it, and I'll live with it. And um, it's actually funny because Cody's deaf in his right ear. So, like, <laughs> we have the same the same issue. So, like, riding down the road, he's driving. His right ear is deaf. My left ear is deaf. We're talking to each other. We might as well just be talking to the windshield, you know, because we don't hear each other. <laughs> Screaming so, at each other. Uh, in the so, corner. yeah, like, yeah, so – we, uh, like when I race, I only wear one ear, uh, earplug cause the other ear don't work. So wow. it's just kind of funny. It's uh, I get, two, I get two earplugs made for my right ear. So I get two for the price of one. Interesting. Nice.
0: All right. Okay. Last true or false question. You are still banned from the pit, which is an indoor go-kart track in Mooresville, North Carolina, okay. right down the road from you. True or false. You are still banned from competing
1: there. <laughs> I don't even know how you'd know this, but yeah, true. <laughs> I cannot go in there and race, uh, that goes back to years and years ago. Uh, we used to do a winter league. It was me and, like, Kevin Swindell. Uh, I think Trevor Bain was in there. There was a lot of guys. So we just go in there, and I think it was, like, a Wednesday night and go race. Well, obviously, you get a bunch of racers in there um, on a league deal, and we're pretty aggressive. And we tore some stuff up, that's for sure. Um, but then, fa- you know, fast forward a couple of years, my sister with Millbridge has a banquet there. And you know, pays to rent this place out, uh, have a banquet and they still wouldn't let me raise. It. So <laughs> Yeah. So it was like, you guys are still grieving over this deal? It was like five years ago and they're like, Yep, you're not allowed. Is your photo like, is please. your
0: photo up or anything? Like do, do they have like a re- like a casino, they can see you, is there an right. eye in the sky? How do they know it's you is what I wanna know.
1: Yeah. I don't know. The problem is I knew a couple of people that work there and the owner like made it a point, like, make sure you do not let him race. <laughs> um, so when I went up there just to buy races, you know, just to, just to go run, they're like, no, you can't. I'm like, are you kidding me? And they're like, yeah. They're like, the owner said that we're not allowed to let you race. What so do we need like, to do? I would no.
0: like to get you back into this place. What can we do? Nick? I have a pretty good peace <laughs> broker. Can I broker a piece to get you back in here?
1: Man, I don't know if you can. He's uh, pretty hard-headed. But luckily, we got a, you know another go-kart track right down the road with GoPro Motorplex. And um, yeah, I can go make some laps there. Right, don't
0: get thrown out of there, please. Could you try not to get thrown out of that place?
1: <laughs> yeah, the problem is, like, Millbridge and GoPro don't really see eye-to-eye on a lot of things. So I could get thrown out of there for something my sister does. <laughs>
0: All right. That's Nick. That was that wraps it up, man. I I really appreciate it. That was about an hour. I know you're busy at Davenport this weekend, um, you know, trying to get that car faster, and and you have a pretty good run the first night. So thank you very much for doing this, man. I, I just at the very least, I want you to know that I respect the shit out of you. You are, without question, the best modified driver in the country right now. But I still get to stand up at Fairbury and cheer for Harrison. Can all of those things be true? Can we can we agree that all of those things can be true?
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I appreciate you having me on. It means a lot. And um, Yeah, hopefully people start seeing me as a late model guy, not really just a modified guy. That would be, uh, be nice. All
0: right, bud. Thank you so much, Nick. Good luck this weekend, okay?
1: I appreciate it. Thanks.
0: If you buy a car, truck, or van new or used from Baum Chevy Buick in Clinton, Illinois, you get a free lifetime, that's forever, the rest of your life, lifetime subscription to Dirt on Dirt and Flow Racing. Literally until you're dead, you get this subscription. Check out BaumChevyBuick.com today. That's B-A-U-M ChevyBuick.com today. They are based just south of my house here in central Illinois in Clinton, and they also happen to be... I'm not kidding when I say this, just, and I say it every week and I mean it every week. They are so nice and so easy to deal with. They are, you're going to walk in there and go, man, Rigsby wasn't kidding. These people are really great. I, I really do love them. And I mean that. So if you need a car or truck new or used, buy it from bomb and you get the added benefit of a lifetime subscription to flow and DOD. And that's pretty cool. Thank you very much to Nick Hoffman, a really good hour with him. And I'd like to see him run dirt late models more. I mean, the kid is clearly talented. He's jumped into Scott's car, and he's performed very well so far, pretty well, very well. He's had more than a few nice moments in late models during his career, even before Bloomquist. Uh So, you know, I want to see him in a late model more. But if nothing else, at the very least, as long as he and Harrison get to battle it out at Fairbury and I get a cheer for Harrison on the cushion, I'll be happy. I, I will be a happy camper if I get if nothing else I get that. Uh, we have sold two. Uh, we have sold Manscaped two Rigsby reports per month the rest of the year, by the way. So they will be sponsoring two the rest of the year, which means we will have two of these every month starting in September and get about 20 to 22 on the year Rigsby reports, which I'm really happy about. Manscaped was happy with the performance that uh, my ad read gave them. So we are going to perform for them the rest of the year. Our next Rigsby report will likely appear after the world 100 and speaking of of the world 100 we are about to cover it pre and post race like we have never really covered anything before not only with all the typical dirt on dirt content but our at the track production is going to be the best live production we have done in the history of flow racing or dirt on dirt as we approach the 51st and 50th world 100s which are coming up very soon so keep it locked the dod and flow tons of world 100 content coming the road to eldora really cool piece called conquering the world which i think you guys are gonna love uh, it's heavy eldora centric as we head into labor day weekend so we'll be back in a few weeks with another Rigsby report see you guys soon thanks